it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. I might have a Super Bowl hang. You might have a Super Bowl hangover today. Well, you might have the Super Bowl flu. I guess millions of people do it. We stay up late. I think the game went overtime yesterday. It probably ended 11 15. Do you know, Pete, what time it actually ended? Or well, it was like around 11.04 or 11.06. 11.04? Oh, yeah. So, but then, then you want to watch the post game, right, and see what they have to say. And uh, and so, so the, at least 11.30. So then, according to my ring, uh, I slept three hours and five minutes, right? And Is that a record? Only 44 minutes of REM. Oh, oh wow. Yes, only 44. So it was uh, not good. But I feel great today. I won't feel probably pay the price till Thursday. Tyler Merritt's going to be on this hour. He's a uh, Nine Lines uh, CEO and Army uh, uh, Corporal. Uh, he's veteran-owned. He's got this great nine-line apparel that you, I know you've probably uh, uh, heard of. And maybe you can help somebody out with that. And we'll talk about that. But we'll start about the Super Bowl. And today, on a side note, the president's going to welcome in uh, King Abdullah of Jordan. I'm sure he's going to say, and, the, and his queen, Reina. I'm sure they're going to say, and she's uh, part Palestinian. I'm sure they're going to say, please turn on Israel. He seems to have no problem with that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's the adversity we dealt, through, dealt with this year. And to come through, the guys never faltered. I just got to give God the glory, man. He, he challenged us to make us better. And I'm proud of my guys, man. This is awesome. It's legendary. Right. Uh, the, the San Francisco 49ers came back, uh, scored, uh, got the ball first, got a field goal. I thought they were going in for a touchdown. When they didn't, the uh, 49ers had, excuse me, the uh, Chiefs had one choice. Go score a touchdown, win it, or a field goal, and lengthen it. They scored a touchdown. So we'll talk about that. Uh, Patrick Mahomes gets the MVP, defensive battle. We'll look at everything, including the commercials. Next. Number two. I can't remember the last time the Senate was in session on Super Bowl Sunday. But as I've said all week long, we're going to keep working on this bill until the job is done. Dysfunctional, but hopefully, hopefully not hopeless. The Senate works the weekend to pass a foreign aid bill while the Biden administration is suddenly working overtime to condemn and perhaps abandon Israel as the Middle East remains on fire and Israel goes for a complete victory. Number one. The justice manual says that that's not enough, even if you can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. You have to believe as a prosecutor that you can get a conviction from a jury. So why that information was included was because he's explaining to the attorney general in that report why he believes a jury would not convict Joe Biden. That is uh, Sarah Isker, not a big Trump fan, but trying to explain legally why Robert Herr put in his report that the president's memory is shot. And his presidency is in turmoil because of it, because it's telling the truth. Even Bob Costas came out and says, everybody know, knows that Joe Biden's got problems. Can he hold on to his party and his presidency? His surrogates fan out and flail on his behalf. However, Trump made things easier for him this weekend by making some unnecessary clumsy uh, remarks about NATO and Nikki Haley's husband who's serving overseas. First things first, as you know, Robert Hur's report came out. 
And buried in the report is the objective to find out if Joe Biden actually intentionally kept classified documents of the highest classification. And the answer is yes. How long did he do it? Years. Dating back to the 70s. Where did he keep it? In the most musty place possible, the attic and garage. Did he know about it? Yes. Read this whole thing. Now, people want to point out, well, Trump didn't cooperate when he had his paperwork for, what, nine months? Well, what is, you know, let's just think about this. If you take something that doesn't belong to you and take a lot of those things over the course of 30 years, including the information that could compromise a country, and you just take it, and then when it's discovered by a staffer, and staffers look through it, they launch an investigation to find it, and because you didn't block the investigation, do you deserve credit? Because you sat for an interview? Because at stake is your freedom? Do you deserve credit? I wish Trump just said, yeah, take my documents back. I don't care. I'm going to be president again. I'm going to have more documents. I wish there was a system in place stopping everybody from taking everything. By the way, there is one for the Senate and vice president. For the president, they're way too easy on it, you know, dating back forever. But the fact is, one of the reasons they didn't convict him is because they said that he forgets everything. He even forgot his, the day, the year his son died, when his administration started, when his second term would start, when, his, when he started as vice president. He's a mess. And here's the thing. If you think that Robert Hur is so bad and just was a politically motivated hack, as Adam Schiff actually said, then release the tapes. So Bob Bauer is the president's attorney. Bob Bauer is the one that was brought in when they found documentation with the highest classification right away when Trump was discovered to have the raid at Mar-a-Lago at the University of Pennsylvania. Then they looked at his house and found so many documents that Bauer said, I got to call the Department of Justice. They got to go through this. To his credit, there's so many documents in his garage that they just stopped and said, I don't have the manpower to go through all this. Let's get the FBI in here. So here's Bob Bauer. When he sees the report, sees the damage done to his client, he's just going to just kill Robert Herr. Cut six. The special counsel has been praised in the past by Democratic senators from his home state of Maryland. Um, and I know when the president took office, he said he wants to restore the honor, integrity and independence of the DOJ. Doesn't leveling these charges of being politically motivated do the same thing Donald Trump does when he says that the system's rigged? That's not what we're saying. Nobody's arguing on our side. I'm not arguing that the system is rigged. We're looking at this particular performance by this particular special counsel in this particular case. And as legal experts around the country are saying, it just goes off the rails. It's a shabby piece of work. He arrived at the right legal conclusion and then 400 page later, misstatements of facts and totally inappropriate and pejorative comments that are unfounded and not supported by the record. Okay, no. Number one, misstatement of facts. I don't know what you're talking about. Number two is these are the documents. If you go, uh, I mean, there is I was I was read through 150 pages yesterday. And then we have great people at Fox here who went through all 380 pages. And just to see page 208. He did not remember when he was vice president, forgetting on the first day of the interview when his term ended and forgetting on the second day of the interview when the term began. He did not remember even when several years within several years of when his son Bo died. 
And now you say it's a shabby interview that you had no reason to put that in. They're trying to say, we're trying to get to the bottom of whether he did this intentionally. And then can you prosecute? What's the practicality of should you prosecute? And to do that, you have to say, who is the subject? The subject has huge memory problems and is almost 85 years. He's going to be 85 years old at the end of a second term and 81 years old at the end of a first term. So legal experts are not all saying that this is off the rails. Here's Sarah Isker, cut 14. As you said, they found evidence that he willfully retained national security information and even probably beyond a reasonable doubt. But the justice manual says that that's not enough. Even if you can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, you have to believe as a prosecutor that you can get a conviction from a jury. So why that information was included was because he's explaining to the attorney general in that report why he believes a jury would not convict Joe Biden, even if they could probably prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. So Sarah Isker, just so you know, people always want to see the motivation, and that's fine behind her. She is a former DOJ spokesperson under Donald Trump who does not like Donald Trump and doesn't think he should be president again. But it doesn't matter. You get, well, I don't like Donald Trump, so I'm going to pretend that Joe Biden did nothing wrong over the course of 30 years dating back to 1977. This is unbelievable. Do you know what he did? He would go into a meeting with Barack Obama. He's so crazed about getting out of Afghanistan, which later would show itself by uh, by engineering the worst military disaster in our nation's history, and that's the pullout of Afghanistan when he became president, despite the urgings of his military uh, military generals and his uh, advisors, who, by the way, he's made clear through his career he has no respect for the military. He believes that they try to corral you into doing things you don't want to do, and he always warned President Obama about that. So we saw how that played out. So he does all these things. They come up to these conclusions, and then when they come up to these conclusions, now he says the DOJ is uh, political. They hired a political hack in Maryland who was recommended by the Democrats in Maryland, just like the uh, the district attorney uh, of Delaware was the one into, into, uh, interviewed, uh, handling the investigation of Hunter, right? He's handling the investigation of Hunter, and they say, well— Donald Trump appointed him on the recommendation of the Democrats in Delaware. That's what tradition is. So now you can just throw Robert Hur into the bus. So I have an idea. Let's do this. The president sat for two four-hour sessions, seven hours total, or four and three sessions. Let's release some of those tapes. And then let's find out what a hack Robert Hur is. Because if I'm Robert Hur, I kind of predicted that this would be a problem at the day I took the job. But if you're going to go after me, Let's see if I have an answer for you. And since he's not he's not a politician, probably won't answer. Releasing the tapes will be his answer. Preet Bahara scrambled quickly to try to save Joe Biden. Cut 13. In a context in which you appoint a special counsel to be above politics and away from politics, he's provided political grist to the opponents of Joe Biden as a matter of politics. It's, it's a weird landscape we're in where Donald Trump gets credibly charged in four charging documents, four indictments around the country, and that's a political boon for him. And Joe Biden, on the other hand, this week gets exonerated in a document, and it's a political nightmare for him. Something is upside down. Well, that's uh, nothing to do with Robert Hur. Uh, it just so happens that it's ridiculous what they're doing in New York, and I think the president's going to find out on Thursday if uh, this idiot Alvin Bragg is going, and I mean he's an idiot, uh, is going to have a court date in probably in the next two months. He'll be first. 
about things, election interference, about something happened in 2016 right before he was elected or right after he was elected with this Stormy Daniels. we got to get to the bottom of that because America is in the balance. That's why we got to indict the, the former president for the first time in American history. So you're going to go first. And then today we could find out if the Supreme Court's going to take up the immunity claim that President Trump had said, I, I was president on January 6th, you can't charge me, I have immunity. Now, I don't think that's got a strong legal standing, but if the Supreme Court takes it, it's going to be more of a delay. The documents, it's very tough because they got a million documents to go through. I mean, literally a million, maybe more. And they got to give everyone the highest security clearance in order to do the research to defend, your, to, to defend the former president. So that's going to take some time. And then you have this clown show in Georgia with this, uh, uh, this a, attorney general who seems as corrupt as the day is long who is having all types of ethical problems, put it that way. So that can't move forward yet. So we'll wait. The president's ratings go up because people think that you're out of bounds in charging them. The one thing I believe that they say that uh, people would take serious if he's convicted and would affect the ratings, I believe it's the documents case or it's the January 6th case. I don't know. They were all blurring together. But to think that President Biden is going to blame now, evidently, Merrick Garland, uh, sources say Merrick Garland will not be asked to do his second term if if President Biden stays and gets four more years, which is the scariest thought I've ever said out loud. Scary, the scariest ever. If he does get four more years, he won't have to stay. Not many do stay for two terms. So we're going to take a short time out. I'll be able to take your calls, and then we'll talk about what's going on with our military recruiting and other things, including the tragic loss of our Marines and another training exercise, and the parents are speaking out. They are outraged. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, the day after the Super Bowl, many of you are listening for the first time because you took off today. I thank you for that. Many of you listen on the podcast, or many of you listen on the app. So you just go to the Fox News app. You see at the bottom it says watch. When you hit watch, you could just scan through, and you could actually see the show as well as listen to the show as soon as you get to uh, Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Covering this election year like no other, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey folks, it's your man Keyshawn Johnson here to talk about Angie. Formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services.
From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. One of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, Well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? I said, you didn't pay? No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. Okay, that was a dumb comment by the president. Number one, he's tough on NATO. He made NATO better. And the, and the uh, NATO uh, commander, uh, director, Jan Stoltenberg, has told me on and off camera that Donald Trump did good things for NATO, that he just wanted to get them pay their fair share, and that's what he did. And we saw the whole thing play out with John Kelly next to him, and I think Reince Priebus there, uh, I believe if I remember correctly, where he said it's time for you guys to pay. Poland does pay. A lot of these, Poland pays more percentage of their GDP than we do. And now other countries are stepping up. Finland and Sweden already hit their threshold as they came in. Germany's got to do more. France has got to do more. England, I think, does hit their marks. So some haven't. I get it. Estonia and others got to do it. But that was a totally unnecessary uh, uh, error by the president. Now he's got people weighing in overseas on that comment about does, does NATO exist without America? When the story should be about Joe Biden's failure, terrible foreign policy, horrible instincts, slow walking of weapons to Ukraine, unable to state what the objective is in Ukraine, unable to push back on uh, Russia to enforce the sanctions he laid in on them. And also in Israel, he seems to be wavering. As usual, when things get tough, Joe Biden folds like a cheap suit, which is all he has. So that to me is unnecessary. But I know what Trump's doing. He's never going to leave NATO. He tries to get leverage and say, I'm going to let Russia invade you unless you pay up. Whatever it takes to get the deal done, the maximum deal. So Marco Rubio goes on with Jake Tapper, and they're going to open up, and they're going to make that the story, right? Because it's not enough for President Biden to get told by an independent counsel that he's incompetent and shot. you got to go after Donald Trump's speech. So listen to Marco Rubio, cut 17. And that's not how I view that statement. I mean, he was talking about something, a story that he talked about happened in the past. By the way, Donald Trump was president and he didn't pull aside in NATO. You know, in fact, American troops were stationed throughout Europe as they are today. They were then as well. But he's telling a story. And frankly, look, Donald Trump is not a member of the Council of Foreign Relations. He doesn't talk like a traditional politician. And uh, we've already been through this now. You'd think people had figured it out by now. OK, I think that's a great defense. And he just he also handled in detail about what was wrong with the immigration bill. Senator Langford uh, that came up with with Senator Murphy, Senator Cinema. So I just think for Trump, if he just plays a conservative, he could have a substantial victory right now. Don't give them anything. They make you, his enemies are so determined. They will make stuff up. Don't make it easy for him. And that's what we witnessed a little bit over the weekend. The other mistake that I think Trump made was this. Cut 21. Where's her husband? Oh, he's away. He's away. Where, what happened to her husband? What happened to her husband? Where is he? He's gone. So she's talking about, he's talking about Nikki Haley. For him, if I were him, I would not be talking about Nikki Haley at all. Uh, and, you know, he's up substantially in her home state. And then there's not one state that she is even close in Super Tuesday. And her husband, Michael, is in the National Guard and serving in North Africa. Why would you bring that up? I mean, for anything, don't bring up relationships. I know, I know as Marco Rubio would brought up right after. And I'll play this a little bit later. He said they go after Melania every single day, you know, especially Democrats. They go after his family every single day. 
and it's it's the crassness of the race. But if I'm Trump, and I'll just do the kids of sports, I'm up by 21 points, and I got guys throwing punches at me, trying to get me to get in unsportsmanlike conduct, all I see is the scoreboard, and I have a chance to win. You could try to hit me in the back of the head when I'm not looking. The ref's going to pick up a lot of it. I have a game to win, not a fight for me. I have a game to win. So, Mr. Former President, if you want to be the future president, do not join in that. Nikki Haley, great ambassador. I'm really surprised she's still in the race. That's what I would say. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's come to my attention that a veteran-owned company called Nine Line Apparel, which prides itself on ethically sourced products, recently decided to trust but verify their supplier certifications that the cotton they were using originated in Central America rather than in China. So they had their supposedly clean textile imports professionally tested. Turned out that slave-produced fabric from China was mixed in and passed off as Central American cotton. Nine Line Apparel did the right thing and got rid of all that material, and they reported it to Customs and Border Protection, offering to give them all the evidence they needed from their professional testing facility. But unfortunately, CBP decided not to follow up. They directed Nine Line Apparel to submit a complaint to a generic email box, which was not uh, replied to. When Nine Line Apparel CEO then followed up by calling CBP directly, CBP told him that enforcing this act, this act's ban on slave-produced textiles and other fabric, is not one of their top priorities. Is that acceptable to you? It isn't to Tyler Merritt, my next guest. He's Nine Line, uh, Nine Line CEO and uh, Army captain, now retired. Uh, Tyler, welcome back. Congratulations on the success of your business. But this really got under your skin, obviously, right? Oh, no, it, it definitely did. And and more now than ever, it's realized that Slave Cotton Joe and DH Secretary Merrick, is, they've got to go. Right. So, I mean, the Uyghurs are, are, are enslaved. People just accept that for some reason. Uh, they're because of their religion and they're Muslim. By the way, it doesn't seem to bother Saudi Arabia or anybody else. And they're they're forced to do this stuff. It's not OK with you. And then when you inform them, why do you think they're not following through? Well, it's profits before all. You know, I, I've had to spend the better part of the last year dealing with uh, lawyers and lobbyists that I never thought I'd ever have to implore. Uh, but, you know, I, I get demand letters from Jones Day representing some very, very powerful organizations that just attempted to stop me from saying their name for almost a year, almost successfully, saying that I was being liable and slanderous and, and, and causing undue you know, pain on their company. And, and what I'm trying to say is that there's a right way to do things and there's a clear wrong way. And I'm all about the gray area. I spent a good amount of my time in special operations living in the gray. But these individuals are taking products, relabeling them made in South America and, and just flooding the market. And everyone who's buying these blank products for their church groups and their school groups who think they're supporting, you know, our friends in Central and South America they're not. They're they're helping China bolster their profits, and they're keeping people enslaved by by you know we are the demand, and and they're going to continue to grow the supply by enslaving more Uyghurs, and growing the slave population, and it's big business. So we fought a civil war over uh, owning humans here in the United States. They have four million of them, 
upwards of 4 million humans that they don't pay. You know, how do you compete with that? I've got U.S. manufacturers here in Savannah, Georgia, 300 awesome, hardworking humans. I can't compete with slave labor, and no one can. Unless we enforce these laws, companies like mine will continue to feel the pain, and, and countries like China will continue to bolster their profits. So, Tyler, when you uh, when you bring this up, not only are you doing the patriotic thing, you're also doing the thing for business. Why do you think that does China pay for these expensive lobbyist firms to the point where they're so they're more powerful than Americans? I think what people have to realize is that you know all of your favorite brands are somehow dependent in China one way or another, right? From the phones that we talk to, the vehicles we drive, to the things we wear, you know, the sheens of the world who are producing you know apparel items landed in your door for less than five dollars. When when a blank shirt made here in the United States will cost me at least five dollars starting off, you know. So I think people are not voting with their dollars because they're not educated. And unfortunately, right now, we live in a society where people want to be entertained, not educated. So unless you can make it entertaining mm-hmm. and, and find that spin, you know, you lose people's attention in, in a very short period of time. So that's what's happened with me over the last year. You know, one, trying to get an audience um, you know, on a national stage is almost impossible. You know, no one wants this to become uh, national news because, you know, your, your major um, retailers, distributors, uh, online giants, you know, everyone is dependent on this slave labor, not just from slave cotton. You know, that, that's the thing that I can easily prove with scientific testing. It's, you know, the, the composite of cotton over there versus here is very unique, like a fingerprint. Um, you can't do that with your, you know, cell phones and your cobalts and everything else, but it's, it's all mined and managed right. and produced by the same group of enslaved population and you know it, it's it's a shame and i remember can't. 60 minutes to the feature tyler uh, and they showed all the children on the side of a mountain with spoons in some cases digging for uh rare earth yeah yeah and and we are supposed to be the ones who are setting the standard and if the consumption in the united states you know were to change if we were to start voting with our dollars if we were to hold people for a bare the minimum right of ethical sourcing. Yeah, don't don't have slaves in your supply chain. And if you do, you should not only be ashamed, you should be fined and, and hopefully put in jail. But Senator Mayorkas turns a blind eye. This has been over a year of submitting through every portal, every conversation with his assistant undersecretary providing, you know, information. This is a slow moving ship. You know, I can track it. You know what? I want you to hear more. Senator Tom Cotton brought up your line of questioning. Here's more. Mr. Secretary, is enforcing the federal ban on slave-produced products and materials from China a top priority for your department? It most certainly is. Why would CBP have told the CEO of Nine Line Apparel that this is not a top priority? I am. Uh, th- that is not um, ref- a reflection of our prioritization of this work, nor is it consistent with our prioritization of this work. But- and I must say that the act is an incredibly important statute. Um, that Congress passed, and I appreciate your leadership in achieving it. It is something that we enforce very, very vigorously and need to do so. So do you think he's lying? <laughs> I, it, it is a pure definition of a paper tiger. You know, that, that It was almost unanimously passed, which never happens in the Senate. Uh, and everyone said we, we are very anti-slave, and, and there is no enforcement arm. The, you know, it, Since this has been enacted, less than – you know, a, a half a dozen ships have been stopped. They think less than 50% of the actual Uyghur goods are being stopped. 
and there is no push to the the lowest level of enforcement. You know, there there is no prioritization. So this is a perfect example of just like in the southern border where we say one thing, but our actions are completely different. So actions do speak louder. And if they were to hold any of these organizations that I've made mention in the past, you know, Next Level Apparel was the one that I've been uh, testing for quite some time that had been, you know, sticking their uh, legal department on me uh, for the last year. And, and I don't know of anything that's actually happened to them or anyone like them. So I don't think that uh, they are taking it seriously. I think they're just going to continue with these sound bites of we care about securing the southern border. We care about stopping you know, the importation of, of uh, Uyghur goods. Right. But until this individual is removed, until this administration is removed and we place it with someone who actually cares about following through with the promises the American public wants, this is only going to get worse. So I want you to hear Congressman Michael Waltz on the reason they, even though they're, they're trying to impeach him in the House, and they got to do it this week because they could lose another vote uh, in a special election on Long Island, which could be happening. You know, the final day is tomorrow to vote. Here's Michael Waltz, Cut 45. Every constituent that I talk to, and it's not just Republican. This has become a national issue, and it's become a bipartisan, just an American security issue. Uh, We can't have a cabinet officer putting us in this position from a national security standpoint, lying to the American people and uh, and lying to Congress about it. He must be impeached, and I think we'll get it done Tuesday. Do you think it solves everything if he's impeached? I think it sets a clear message that if you hold a position, you know, that's that's supposed to be supporting and upholding the, the Constitution of the United States and you fail to follow through, you, you should be impeached at a minimum. You should likely go to jail. You know, I was an Army officer um, and, and I was charged with following through with the duties and the orders of the president of the United States as long as they remain constitutional. Then it was my obligation to stand up for the Constitution. We have a border, and we are a sovereign nation. And I don't, I can't think of one country I've ever just stepped across and attempted to do the things that are occurring right here in this country. So respect our border, respect our laws, or be removed from office and hopefully go to jail for your actions. That's what I yeah. would hope. So uh, what about – I saw this ad. I didn't know anything about this company, that Timu ad. What is Timu? Yeah. And you you flagged that. That's a Chinese company? That's Chinese China's Amazon? It, it does seem like it, it's the replacement to Alibaba. It seems like it's the uh, the Walmart, the online of uh, you know, slave products. I have not tested their products, but it's hard to – Imagine bringing um, those type of products in at those prices without exploiting humans. I don't know how it would be accomplished, and I've been in the textile industry for well over a decade. I've got materials that's sourced from all around the world. We pride ourselves with manufacturing in the United States, but we work all around the world. And the only place to hit those prices is slave slave, uh, labor. Uh, That's really it. There's, There's no way around it. So, yeah, if people continue to vote for, you know, with their dollars and buy Sheen and they continue to buy things from, you know, the Alibabas of the world, which is the, a rename of Timu, in my opinion, uh, yeah, I think that we're just going to continue down this path of talking about being virtuous on our slave phones, driving our slave vehicles, wearing our slave clothes and, and patting ourselves on the back. So we, we need to take actions and, and vote with our dollars. How do we get recruiting up in the United States? I mean, I would love to see some ads, some image ads that show you guys taking the fight uh, in the war on terror. I'd love to see some image ads of you leaving the camouflage, 
for business, uh, for for a, a, a job in finance that we know happens every day, or a job in education that we know. Talk about the opportunity that the military gives. I see nothing. People wonder why recruiting's down. They're not even using any of the advertising dollars. Maybe they do stuff with the NFL, and that's great. But where are we? Where are the image ads we used to see? Well, I, th- I think they're trying to create a new warrior culture that that is uh, non-existent. You know, you want sensitive, soft kind warriors says no one you know if you want me to close with and destroy the enemy then give me the tools uh, that i require to do so and then support me but i don't know many people in the military i'm very close with members of the national mission force and individuals who who run the the highest profile missions and, and there's a, a lack of um confidence in that if uh, a hard decision needs to be made at three o'clock in the morning you know is our commander-in-chief going to be able to do so. He's, he's able to, you know, barely able to conjugate a sentence in, in the middle of the day. You know, I, I don't believe that our members of the armed forces feel confident with their commander in chief. Uh, and, and it's hard to market uh, to individuals mm-hmm. that you want as warriors with the current climate that's being set where, you know, the, the greatest threat to the military is inclusive nature and, and racism. I, I've been in the military since, you know, I was a commander repealing don't ask don't tell no one cared if there was people who were homosexual in our unit it wasn't talked about it was all right don't ask don't tell is repealed now can we get back to you know yeah. arrow gunnery and talking about killing bad guys uh it, it's these made-up um nuances that we need to fix something that's not broken it makes people not want to join the military mm-hmm. it wasn't broken we had the, the the most elite fearsome fighting force in the world and then it was taken over by our current commander in chief, who is a delinquent, you know, and he yeah. and he assigns matters of national security to absolute idiots, and and this well, is what we get. Tyler, thanks so much. Uh, go out, uh, support him, nine line uh, wherever you can. Uh, Tyler, thanks so much, and we'll keep the word out about this, and hopefully Mayorkas will be history, and this administration will be out the door. Thank you. Thank you, sir. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Got a lot more to talk about. Didn't really talk about the Super Bowl yet. My favorite ad is coming your way. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other, it's Brian Kilmeade. I wish I was at that fight. He's going to need another bicep. House party. Definitely. Let's go. Who is for a T-Rex? Guilty. Let's go to Super Bowl 58. Now we're talking. Bud Light went all in on the Super Bowl. I mean, first off, we already saw Peyton Manning sign up and Emmett Smith sign up. We saw the UFC president sign up in terms of rehabbing Bud Light. And now I saw the President Trump on Truth Social said, hey, listen, they made a mistake. It was a big mistake. Give them a second chance. They're an American company. They're actually not owned by America, but they got American roots. So uh, I just think that Bud Light's making their comeback. I think they're doing some, uh, doing the best they can to lose. And if not, they're like overcompensating, but I understand it. Also bringing back the Clydesdales and all these uh, things that made uh, their marketing strategy so effective. How it was all done, undone with Dylan Mulvaney and some idiot thought that would be a great move to uh, to highlight somebody who pretends to be a woman in a horrific Broadway show-like way. So that was a mistake. I'm all for giving them a second chance. They may have invested big. My number one 
ad was. And I don't want to play it now, but you guys saw it already. We played a lot on Fox and Friends. I thought that Ben Affleck Dunkin' Donuts ad was just fantastic with Matt Damon and Tom Brady. Awesome. I also thought the messy ad was great. Comes in, they don't have a beer, so in the meantime, dribbles all the way down the beach and was able to uh, was able to do his thing. I just think that when you have a soccer star in a mainstream huge football event, I think it shows a coming together of both worlds. Real quick, there's so many things going on this week. For example, on Thursday, we should find out if the president is uh, how much the president is going to be charged. Uh, for that civil trial when they said that he committed fraud by overstating the we- overstating his wealth. It's a ridiculous lawsuit that's going to be immediately repealed, but it could cost him up to $370 million. That'll be big. Today, we could find out if the Supreme Court is taking the immunity case. That'll be interesting. And also, by Thursday, Alvin Bragg is supposed to have a date to put the president on a criminal trial, which if found guilty, technically, uh, barring appeal, I mean, he could go to jail. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine for a case like this, this is a Stormy Daniels one, they call it election interference. Ridiculous. And and by the way, after Alvin Bragg brought the case, he said, you know, if everybody wants to go first, some other case can go first. Too late. So we'll see that. And the other thing that's happening this week is James Comer's investigation on what Hunter Biden was doing with his uncle and I believe with his president who was his and remains his dad. And the person that knows the truth that behaved to his reputation on the line to say it is Tony Bobulinski. And now he comes in to give his testimony to Comer's committee. Cut 51. This special election will be a harbinger of what's to come this fall. When you look at all of the polling, the issues are very clear. Uh, People are furious about what's happening at the border. They're furious about crime in the streets and they're furious about Uh, the Biden economy. Uh, People are fleeing New York because they can't afford to live here anymore. Well, Tony Bobulinski appears to be the one honest guy that was involved in uh, all of these uh, Biden business deals. Uh, In fact, he was so honest, uh, it looked like Hunter cut him out, according to the emails, at the the very end and kind of ripped Tony Bobulinski off. Uh, But Tony Bobulinski was privileged to a lot of information about just exactly what the Bidens were going to do with China. And I think it's important for the American people to know exactly what CEFC was. Yeah. Uh, who actually owned CEFC and what role Joe Biden played in CEFC. And I think Tony Bobulinski has those answers, and we're very excited about his interview this week. So Tony Bobulinski's going to give those answers. And I hope these Democrats, like Goldman, go after Bobulinski. You don't have a shot. He's an intelligence officer, a self-made multimillionaire, and he can't wait to tell the truth. The others somehow, I think, could be implicated in this. They have their own motivations for not telling the truth. Bobulinski will blow this thing up. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. Some of you had the Super Bowl flu, which means you're off today. Maybe you're adding me to your schedule. Be able to listen to us live. If you ever have to miss, don't worry. We got the podcast, and you can always, if you have to leave our affiliate, your affiliate. We always have the Fox News app. You hit on watch on the bottom. You scan over. You look for Fox News Radio, and you can actually see the show because you can see it streaming on Fox Nation. This hour, we're going to be joined by Mazzy Pillup. She is the one who wants to take uh, Santos' seat. She's a Republican. Tom Swazi, this is roughly a district he's won in the past. 
Now, Swazi is uh, trying to get it. He's trying to uh, pose himself as a moderate. Get this. He's trying to run from Joe Biden. He doesn't even bring up Joe Biden's name. And he wants to run for the fact that he saw eye to eye with the squad on almost everything. And Mazi Pillup is a unique background, born in Ethiopia, lived in Israel, for, uh, served in the IDF, came to America, and is now looking to represent uh, Republicans in the district, the, the 3rd District of New York in Congress. We'll find out tomorrow's election day. She'll be with us. Bob Glauber of Newsday. Uh, Michael Goodwin standing by. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's the adversity we dealt through, dealt with this year. And to come through, the guys never faltered. I just got to give God the glory, man. He, he challenged us to make us better. And I'm proud of my guys, man. This is awesome. It's legendary. He is happy, and he should be, two in a row. And he's got three overall. He's just 28 years old. Uh, it was a defensive battle full of clutch plays and unfortunate ones for San Francisco. When one punt went off a player's foot, uh, they was a, ruled a fumble. They were unable to recover it. And that's how Kansas City went in for the go-ahead score. They were matched by uh, Kansas, uh, by San Francisco, who missed an extra point. They go into overtime. They score a field goal. But Kansas City answers with a touchdown. Next. Number two. I can't remember the last time the Senate was in session on Super Bowl Sunday. But as I've said all week long, we're going to keep working on this bill until the job is done. All right, that's good. And we're talking about foreign aid. Dysfunctional, but hopefully not hopeless. The Senate works through the weekend to pass a foreign aid bill, which the Biden administration is suddenly working overtime to con- uh, condemn and perhaps abandon Israel as the Middle East remains on fire and Israel goes for complete victory. Number one. The justice manual says that that's not enough, even if you can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. You have to believe as a prosecutor that you can get a conviction from a jury. So why that information was included was because he's explaining to the attorney general in that report why he believes a jury would not convict Joe Biden. That is Sarah Isker trying to explain to people who want to think it's politics why exactly Robert Hur included information about the president's memory and status. Robert Hur hurls President Biden, uh, hurls President Biden and his presidency into turmoil, claiming it would be difficult to convince a jury they could convict him because he's old and shot. Can he hold on to his party, Joe Biden? Can he hold on to his presidency? His surrogates fan out and flail on his behalf. However, Donald Trump make things easier for him this weekend with some unnecessarily clumsy remarks. Michael Goodwin, uh, New York Post, welcome back. I know you wrote your column about uh, about Biden and his chance of winning. What what was the most striking thing about the Robert Hur report for you? Well, Brian, I think the um, obviously the the language that Hur used to describe Biden, and they were, I mean, he didn't just throw them out without context, uh, as you said correctly, and as the the left wants to ignore, he. This was not gratuitous. This was connected to the conclusion of his report that Biden was simply an an old man who would be sympathetic to a jury, uh, and therefore you could not convict him. And the general practice among prosecutors, and I think a lot of people don't understand this, they do weigh the possibility of success in a trial. 
that's a very big issue about whether to charge somebody. Uh, and they thought that no jury would convict uh, an 83 at that time, whatever, year old man who couldn't remember when his son died. Um, I thought it was a compelling argument. I still think there is an issue about uh, Trump being treated differently on documents. Uh, the, the idea that he was willful Trump and Biden somehow was just clumsy or forgetful or whatever. Uh, I mean, I think if you're going to say Biden shouldn't be prosecuted, you, you, in all fairness, you need to raise again the issue of tr the case against Trump. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the, starting with the FBI raid and everything, it was entirely different. And of course, there's the Hillary Clinton issue as well, that she was not prosecuted. So sort of a rough calculation is uh, on classified documents. If you're a Democrat, you get yeah. away with it. If you're a Republican, you get prosecuted. So they now, actually I know put, there are differences yeah, in the they cases, put in, they put that in the but report. we're talking about presidents here. Yeah, but they put that in the report. They said that Donald Trump uh, was yes. evasive and he was not forthcoming, and, and Joe Biden is. The thing that's underestimated is Joe Biden's been taking classified documents since the 70s, and that's what's said in the report. And he yes. also, with this notebook, he would recopy from his note cards what they were telling him. Don't take home your note cards. He's like, well, I wanted to take notes on, on these meetings. He goes, yeah, but that's intelligence information. He was recopying it into a notebook. So he knowingly took it back. Then he blames his staff while caught on tape telling his ghostwriter, look what I found, classified documents, he said in 2017 when they were trying to put this book together. So he was knowingly doing it. So, Michael, I have a question for you. Tell me if this is an apt description. If I'm stealing from you on a regular basis and then you say to me, I think you're stealing from me. And I said, OK, you could check my stuff. And you come and pull out your stuff. Am I exonerated? Do I deserve to, do I deserve credit for not trying to be evasive? I mean, that's <laughs> well, what he's and, trying to give him credit. Brian, well, and let's look at another example, David Petraeus. Right. He showed classified information to his biographer. How is that? And, and he was removed from his position. Now, how is that not the same Great as point. what Biden did with his ghostwriter? Um, so I think there are a lot of parallels that show that Biden got away. But um, hers, hers explanation, I think, is a, it sounds to me like a valid one, that, that he's too old and he would be sympathetic. But I think, you know, you, you cannot make this decision in a vacuum. And, you know, there's a brand, as you and I have discussed, there is this great gap of trust now that has opened about these federal institutions. And they have to do with double standards, with preferential treatment, um, not just about Trump, but also Trump. But this sense that, you know, pro-life parents get, get their homes raided, uh, on and on and on, the distinctions between whether you are favored by the government, the, the party in power or not. Yeah. De determines how the FBI and the courts treat you. You know, this case is just hardening that divide. And I wish somebody in the Justice Department would wake up and say, oh, my God, we're destroying these institutions for more than half the country. We have to get the public trust back. I wish no so, one yeah. seems to be concerned about so, it. So it's so interesting. Place perfect to where my next topic is.
because the president of the United States currently said, I want, to re- I want to separate the Department of Justice from other branches of government. I'm going to let them do their thing. I will not have anything to do with the investigation of Hunter, of, my, of, of Donald Trump, my opponent, or anybody else. So when they do, Robert Hurd's given this report from Merrick Garland, a person uh, that, that he appointed, and they don't like the way it came out. Out comes the lawyer, who, by the way, this guy, Bruce Bauer, was the one who found the documents at the University of Pennsylvania. He was the one who went to his house and found all those documents, to his credit, these classified documents in his uh, garage. And he was so overwhelmed by the number, he called the Department of Justice and said, guys, come take a look at this. Because he did not want to touch it, and there was too much for one person to handle. That's how bad it was. So when this report comes out, it is called, let's go save Joe Biden's presidency. Cut five. This is a report that went off the rails. It's a shabby work product. Let's, let's take a step back. It starts with a legal conclusion that was foregone from the very beginning. The investigation could have been concluded in two or three months. It went on for over 15 months. And so along with the legal conclusion comes this flood of characterizations, factual misstatements, pejorative comments about the president that are inconsistent with DOJ policy and norms. And that, as you see, over the last 48 hours have been widely criticized by legal experts. This is not what prosecutors do. It is shoddy work product. It's anything but shoddy. It is 380 pages, man. The detail is incredible. He has seven hours of interviews. I mean, so there goes the institution, the institution he's looking to preserve, unless, of course, it goes after him. Right, Michael Goodwin? Exactly. Exactly. They they don't mind it going after Donald Trump. But when their ox is gored, then suddenly, the you know, he's a Republican, uh, Robert Herr, uh, all of these things. You know, Brian, there's another element here, too, which surfaced over the weekend. And it was that, uh, you know, Biden is unhappy with uh, Merrick Garland because he appointed her. Right. And they and the White House wanted the the report edited before it was released. Uh, never mind that uh, uh, Garland would then have to explain to Congress why he edited it. But the fact is, what you have is the president of the United States openly grumbling, which is then released to the press uh, about his attorney general. This is not the first time he he was angry. He is in the same article. It talks about how he is angry about the way Hunter Biden was treated by the Department of Justice, which takes a lot of chutzpah when you consider the the sweetheart deal they tried to give Hunter Biden. And then uh, he was also Joe Biden was also angry at Merrick Garland because he did not prosecute Donald Trump. Now, if Donald Trump as president had done any of these things, demanded preferential treatment for him himself, his son, and political uh, prosecution of his opponent, the, the press would have gone crazy. But here is Joe Biden doing all of those three things, and he is treated as a sympathetic father, as, a, as an old man who's just trying to help the country. I mean, it is shameful the way the double standard works in the media, the way the double standard is reflected in the institutions of Washington. This is what's tearing this country apart. This is the great divide. It is right before us, right before our eyes. We can see the differences playing out in, the, in both the 
headlines and in the criminal cases. Right. And yet, you know, the, the, the left goes on as way as though not just is this acceptable, but they are going to ram it down the country's throats. And if you oppose it, we'll lock you up, we'll smear you. I mean, this is a very serious issue, which is why in my column I say it's really a good news thing that the Supreme Court looks like it's going to overturn the Colorado court ban. And it's somewhat good news that the that the uh, uh, Fonnie Willis prosecution appears to be in trouble because of her own allegations of self-dealing and corruption. And so you, you're starting to see a little bit of the wheel turning, but it's not quite enough yet to, to give you really hope that's, that these institutions are salvageable. I know. Let's, so a couple of things. So Michael Morell has got his own problems in the past, but he was an esteemed briefer that President Bush liked, stayed over with Obama, and then he was part of the rounding up those 12 intel agents, 51 mm-hmm. intel agents. Having said that, I thought it was interesting what he said, having read the report. Cut 12. You know, I'd say that he needs to go a little bit further. So I agree 100 percent that we need a new policy for how how this is done at the end of administrations. 100 percent. I think he needs to go a little bit further in the apology. I think he needs to say, I should not have had this material. I put national security at risk. Um, I apologize to the American people for that. I apologize to the intelligence community, in particular to those CIA officers who put their lives at risk to collect some of it. There was CIA material in here, um, and it's not going to happen again. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to make sure of that by making changes. Mm-hmm. A more full-throated apology. Because he didn't apologize. Because he blamed it on staffers. He should have been more active in finding out what the staffers were boxing up and putting next to a, uh, a collapsed dog cage in his garage. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think Morell makes some good points. Yeah. And again, you have to see it from his perspective, right? He's had to live by those rules. And the people who worked for him in the CIA, they had to live by all those rules. And there is the commander in chief just willy nilly violating the rules and taking no responsibility for it. I mean, I think he makes a very good, valid point. But of course, the White House is just now on a tear that none of this is valid. It's all valid it, it's uh it's fascinating uh, to see what now we got to think about where we go from here the other thing to keep in mind we're up against a break but he's obsessed with afghanistan desperate to get out back in 2009 says told obama don't surge troops it'll be your vietnam took notes on his stance was determined to put it in his book and then you know what happened he was determined to evacuate afghanistan even if it costs American lives and reputation. And then he ignores the generals again, just like when he was vice president, he was recommending to President Obama. They look to box you in. Look out for them, the distrust. So what he wanted to do in 09, he actually pulled off in 2022. And, you know, Brian, it's one of the things, too, of course, there's another dimension to all of this, uh, which is the the Robert Gates line uh, about Joe Biden, that he's been wrong on every foreign policy and national security issue for 40 years. Now, it's 10 years since Gates said that. So I think we can say it's 50 years uh, that Biden has been wrong. And so you mix that with the onset of what looks to be early dementia. I think that's certainly some form of senility. (laughs) And you say, wow, what a mess. 
Yeah, thanks a lot, Michael Goodwin. Appreciate it. Uh, always read his column in the New York Post. You can get it online, too. Thanks, Michael. My pleasure, Brian. Thank when, you. When we come back, hey, Tony Bobulinski week, that's this week. Also, we'll find out about the president, how much he may or may not own that civil trial, and might we get a date in his first criminal trial. Uh, there is so much going on. So glad you're here. Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. You know as well as anyone, he's done fewer interviews, fewer press conferences than his predecessors. And we hear this, we heard from, from the, his spokespeople earlier. We, we're, we're led to believe that there's two Joe Bidens. There's one behind closed doors who's super sharp, who, who's, we, who's, who's not showed his age at all. And then when he steps out, we see him every time. It's just not there. And we have to imagine there are people making a decision because they are behind closed doors with Joe Biden. And they are also seeing some slippage. So that is uh, Brendan Buck. He was a former advisor to Paul Ryan as well as John Boehner as uh, chief of staff to both those speakers of the House. And he's not out there. And I think it's important for me just to tell you this. He's not out there to sell Donald Trump, but he's not against Donald Trump. I watch him every weekend. And he just said, guys, can you just admit it? It was a bad report. Robert Hur is was appointed and recommended to Donald Trump by two Democratic senators from that state, just like the two Democratic senators from that state put Weiss there. David White's there to investigate Hunter Biden eventually. And you could say he was appointed by Trump, but that's tradition. You can't say what he said is inaccurate because, for example, if they did it about Barack Obama and they said his memory's been all that, you'd go, come on, this guy just doesn't like him. But this is exactly what we're watching. In fact, we should probably pull this. Bob Costas said this on HBO. This is the lapses we're all seeing on Joe Biden. And believe me, Bob Costas is as left as it comes and hates Trump, but he also knows what he sees. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. They are going to bring him out with six seconds to go. This is going to be 29 yards. This to send the game to overtime. Butker's kick is good. First and goal. Mahomes swings it. It's there! Hartman! Jackpot! Kansas City! And the Chiefs, you're going to hear a lot about it. You might as well say it right now. They have their dynasty. That was uh, Jim Nance calling the final plays uh, of regulation and then in overtime. And it's a three-point win. It's a, uh, it's a, what is it, uh, was it 25-22? Uh, a, a win for uh, Kansas City. And if there wasn't for a missed extra point, the game would have changed. It wasn't for a, a crazy fumble off a punt where the ball hit off a 49er player at the back of his heel. That might have been changed, but we'll see. Bob Glaber knows this whole part of that. Uh, used to write for Newsday for years. Serves as the, on the president of the Pro Football Writers uh, of America uh, from 2018 to 2020. Author of The Gotten First and Guts, uh, and Guts and Genius. Bob, what do you think of the game? Where do you rank it? You know, one of the all-time great finishes, Brian. Um, maybe one of the all-time disappointing games up to about eh, like 50 minutes in. It was like, oh, my God. There's just, you know, both teams were not playing well. And, you know, the offenses. And it was really a lot because of the defenses playing so well. But, you know, you, you, you want to see Patrick Mahomes put the ball into the end zone. And, you know, Brock Purdy, you want to see him get his 
get the get the ball to the skill position players and and have you know Debo Samuel make dynamic play. It just wasn't happening. But a lot of times when you get these great finishes, Brian, it, leading up to it, you know, his it's just it's just not you know it's not exciting. Um, Joe Montana's comeback win against the Bengals was was a dull game up until the very end, when, and, and he won it in the in the final minute. So that's what happens. But overall, like this is going to be one of the most memorable Super Bowls ever. Yeah, I mean, considering I thought uh, both coaches tried to make adjustments along the way, and then you thought Brock Purdy was just going to be stuck and shut out the second half, but then they were able to turn it on and come back after trailing for the first time, and they were able to get a touchdown there and. You you saw I mean you saw a lot of good plays. Number one, one thing that's, that no one's talking about is this second year quarterback, unheralded as he is, did not fold under pressure. Brock yeah. Purdy, I thought Brock Purdy did a, a very good job. Listen, he's not to the level of Patrick Mahomes. You know, no one is, and no one maybe in NFL history is. But I think Purdy really acquitted himself well. And he, I, I think he kind of shed that game manager label, um, and he's he, he's been a terrific quarterback. Now, is he a championship quarterback year after year? You know, probably not. And you know, you wonder, do, do they need more out of him? Uh, you know, moving forward to win a Super Bowl, and and the answer is yes. So, you know, great quarterbacks and great quarterback play, you have to make that unexpected play. Um, and he just he wasn't able to score the, the touchdown when he needed it late. And, uh, you know, that's, that, that's all part of it, Brian. And you, you have to be able to kind of rise to those moments. And that's why, that's why Mahomes, you know, it's just a legendary final drive to win it. I mean, that was, it was almost like the 49ers didn't lose it. The Chiefs won it. Because Patrick Mahomes is just such a such a brilliant quarterback. Yep, that was my point earlier. Here's what Brock, Brock Purdy said after the game. Cut thirty three. I mean, a lot of guys are quiet, and a lot of guys are still quiet right now. Um, not a lot has been said. It just hurts, you know. We have the team obviously to do it to win the whole thing and come up short like that. You know, the way things have been the last couple of years here, everyone wanted it so bad. You know, some of the Forty ers are coming out saying, "I really didn't know the rules in overtime, mm-hmm. and that uh, they didn't know the first score wasn't the end of the game," which I can't believe. But they did change it from when Tom Brady won in overtime against Atlanta. Having said that, did they make a mistake, Bob Glauber, in winning the toss and not kicking off to Kansas City? Brian, it's a, it's a fair second guess, but I think the answer is no for this reason. Um, Kyle Shanahan's defense was exhausted at the end of regulation, okay? So does he send an exhausted defense out there against the greatest quarterback in the game and risk having a touchdown scored? And, you know, you do get the ball back, but, you, you know, you're under pressure to score a touchdown there. So I understand the potential of second-guessing that. But, I, you know, I think in Kyle Shanahan's mind, he also had this idea that, you know, if, if you know, all things being equal, if it's, say, tied after the first two possessions, they can then go on that third possession and, and get a field goal to win it. So – I get it. Um, you, you know, you can quibble over it, but I think the fact that his defense was so tired at the end of regulation that I, I, I'm, I'm just not going to kill him on that one. So the the part I hated, I just hate it, uh, what Travis Kelsey did to Andy Reid. And everyone's like, well, you don't understand oh the relationship. Yeah. I nev- never want to see a player, at, even if you're 11 or if you're 35, I never want to see a player be so disrespectful to a coach, let alone physically hit him. Yep. And that's what I saw. He was upset he wasn't on the line of scrimmage. He wasn't in there for this end zone play. 
And you have Andy Reid on the sideline with a, what is he, 33, 34 years old? He's a guy that was a little bit wild when he came into the league. Andy Reid has been with him every step of the way. I need you to rise up now, and he certainly did. Now he's become this megastar who Hollywood's approaching, and here is uh, and here he is going after his coach for not putting him in the game and knocking the play sheet out of his hands. Uh, before I get Andy Reid to uh, get Travis, uh, Andy Reid to comment on, what do you th- what are your thoughts? Uh, it was a bad moment, Brian. It was he lost his composure at a critical moment, and you know you look at it and it's the hey we're in the Super Bowl here, and is this team kind of unraveling? Right. There have been moments for Kansas City along the way where they have these, you know, these lulls and, and you wonder, are they going to be able to get it done? They've, you know, they've trailed in these games pretty regularly. But that one, you make contact with your coach, unacceptable. You can't do it. And it was a very bad look. Um, I think he knows it. And I think Andy Reid kind of covered for him pretty well. You know, that, that coach, I tell you what, he's not going to sell his players out, but that was a moment where you, you just cannot let that happen. There's, no, there's just no chance. You just can't let it happen. Right. I mean, can you imagine that? Phil Simms just tried to knock a play sheet out of Bill Parcells' hands. You oh, know, I can, rem- I can or Lawrence that. Or Lawrence Taylor? <laughs> no, uh, they wouldn't do it. They would scream and yell, but they, they wouldn't you know, make contact. And that was, that was where that went over the line. Uh, so, uh, listen, they, they won the game, so, you know, it's – Looking back, they can they can kind of laugh at it, but it was not a funny moment. Here it is, Andy Reid, cut thirty four. Great leaders, and Patrick and Chris and and Trav and the job you know that they've they've done. Uh, they're they're passionate players, man, and I love that. And even if they chest bump me to the other side of the fifty, I mean, I've, I I appreciate it. I just love that the guy wants to play and wants to be in there playing, and he knows I love that. So he makes me feel young. Think he means it? <laughs> he's probably on cloud nine because he wanted to. Uh, that was super sure, old. sure. I mean, he's you know you're gonna forgive and forget that one. And, and and there is something to be said, a lot to be said for having players who are that passionate and they just want to win. And you know he was not in the game at that time, and it was a critical moment um, where their fumble occurred partly because the tight end didn't properly block his man. And Travis Kelsey, you know, he's like, this is it. I I, I want to win a Super Bowl. What are you doing? But, you know, there's a difference between, hey, going up to your coach, hey, what are you doing, and then really being aggressive and hitting him. And, you know, Andy Reid has got an artificial hip, and, you know, he was knocked off balance. I mean, it was like, it was, it was a bad moment. Yeah, I thought so. So, Bob, you've seen the NFL for how many years did you cover it? I covered it for 37 seasons. All right, so describe this Super Bowl. I mean, is really, uh, the ratings at a time it was TV is so fractured. It's hard to get people on the same page for anything except for sports. But we, we you could put it on Amazon streaming. You can make me go find Peacock on my, uh, on my smart TV. And it doesn't matter. The ratings are through the roof. How do you explain this type of rocketing success that keeps growing? Brian, I think the NFL has the unique ability to bring people together to, um, to watch it. There is interest in it. There is... Uh, there's just this intense passion for it. And, Brian, I'll tell you what, I go back to the first one of the first games I ever, really, the first high school football game I ever covered, Sleepy Hollow High School against John Jay High School. You're saying, oh, who cares? But wait a minute. So I, I make predictions in the Tarrytown Daily News, and I predict the home team that I cover is going to lose. 
And they go up to John Jay, and they win the game. And this little squatty nose tackle comes up to me and starts screaming at me, swearing at me. We showed you, you piece of... Blah, 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 blah. We, oh, oh, oh. He was like, he was like inflamed. His like face is red. I was like, what is going on here? Okay. And the reason I bring that up is that there's that kind of passion about the game of football at a high school level. Imagine yeah. all that happens at the, at the pro level with all the attention. Everyone knows their teams. They know the players. There is that that football has that kind of is is kind of wrapped up in in all this attention for the sport. It's a great TV sport. It you know one That's game, it, seventeen yeah. weeks, right? And it's just the perfect storm of interest, passion, right. and and emotion. Bob Glaber, thanks so much. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Be well. All right, when we come back, uh, Mazzy Pillup. She is the Republican candidate for the New York's 3rd District. Special election uh, election day is tomorrow against Tom Suozzi. She's going to tell us how she wants to close it out and keep George Santos' seat Republican. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. This special election will be a harbinger of what's to come this fall. When you look at all of the polling, the issues are very clear. Uh, People are furious about what's happening at the border. They're furious about crime in the streets, and they're furious about uh, the Biden economy. Uh, People are fleeing New York because they can't afford to live here anymore. And so these are the three issues that, you know, have been the focal point of this special election. Tom Swazi is trying to uh, backtrack on his previous position of kicking ice out of Nassau County when he was county executive uh, and now claiming he's going to do something about the border. And that is Tom Swazi, who's been a congressman before, has been a county, county executive and was a governor, gubernatorial candidate, left his district, which was roughly in the same district as Peter King's, they kind of overlap. So they redistricted. George Santos won by five in a district that Joe Biden won by eight. And now Mazzy Pillip wants to keep it in the Republican family. She's a Republican candidate in New York third, special in New York third, uh, three. The special election is tomorrow. Uh, Mazzy, welcome to Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, Brian. Thank you for having me. So do you believe what, what Mike Lower laid out there, the fellow Republican from New York? Absolutely. Absolutely. The crisis, the migrant crisis, the border crisis we are facing right now, the the illegal immigrants coming to our country and attacking our police officers and even our residents is a result of uh, bad policies that Biden and uh, Thomas Wazi, my opponent, supported. And now my opponent is saying, I would like to go back to fix it. You want to fix something that he broke? And nobody's going to believe that. He's not capable to do so. And uh, his, his time is over, basically. So I want you to hear what Tom Swazi said about you. Listen. George Santos got elected by lying about his record. Ms. Pillip wants to get elected by lying about me. It's obvious why my opponent did not want to debate throughout this campaign. Her performance was abysmal. It was very erratic. Uh, it was unprepared. It was unvetted. And she was unable to give any specific answers. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm not lying about his uh, record. It's a clear record. You can't run away. You know, he voted with Biden 100 percent of the time. He's the one who decided to vote to open the southern border. So why he cannot own it? He's supposed to own it. He's the one who was soft on uh, on uh, crime. He's the one who supported defunding the police movement. 
the issues we are seeing right now, as I said, you know, being so soft on crime and when our law enforcement, our officers being attacked on the street because of him. When he was in county executive, he kicked ice. I don't say something that wasn't true. He kicked ice. He was a county executive, so he has to own it. He increased taxes. He has to own it. As a county executive, he increased taxes. And as a mayor of Grand Cove, he's, he increased taxes. And and a majority in Congress, he supported Biden and out-of-control spending. So I'm not saying anything that's not accurate. This is all everybody is open for public. They can check it. He's the one who lying, saying I'm, I'm not vetted. I'm pretty much vetted. I'm very proud of myself, all my achievements. And Newsdays came to check my degrees. Newsdays wanted to know my military service and IDF. All clear. I don't see something that I, I didn't did. All my CV, my resume is all clear. They checked even the call companies or organization I worked for in the past. All truth. Now he's trying to say I'm unvetted just to distract the people, to distract the voters from the real mm. issues. The real issues, the border crisis, migrant crisis, uh, uh, the fact that he, he promised to bring the salt deduction to New Yorkers to make New York more affordable. The salt he deduction? To, yeah, to, to get that yeah, off. He but but yeah. Donald Trump is the one that took that out. He did, absolutely. But you know what? Uh, Thomas Wazi promised he's going to bring it back. He did not. He did not bring it back. Are you going to bring it back? Absolutely. You know, my New York delegation, especially Long Island delegation, very much motivated to bring it because it's very important for so many families to, to be able to write off your state taxes. Of course. Right. So uh, I want to I want to bring expensive. it to you fought for the IDF. You know what Israel's up against in Gaza. And now yeah. the president said the other day uh, on Friday that everybody knows that I think that uh, Israel has been over the top in Gaza because there's so many civilian deaths. If you to believe Hamas, which I don't. There's 23,000. How many do you think civilian deaths are there, and has Israel been over the top? I don't know the exact number, but I can tell you all we have to remember is who's the one who uh, broke the ceasefire, who's the one viciously attacked Israel. A terrorist organization October 7 decided to declare a war. Okay, war is ugly. Israel, they don't want to kill a civilians at all. Let me tell you, if they can go, Israel can go, bring the hostages uh, uh, back to Israel and uh, kick the, or eliminate Hamas without one casualty, they will do that. Of course, they don't want to kill nobody. They don't want to do that. This is unfortunate. You have to understand you when, you when you are fighting a terrorist organization, it is very difficult, especially a terrorist organization who's hiding among civilians, who are using uh, the civilians as human shields. It is a tough war. It's not an easy one. Israel didn't want to go into this war. It was forced by, by, uh, by them. Now Israel has to bring the hostages and has to take away Hamas. Nothing else can be done. So we have to support Israel. It's very important to support Israel. Israel is mm-hmm. our ally nation. Israel is fighting the terrorist organization. If they are not going to mm-hmm. fight there, if we are not going to have them to fight Hamas, is going to be in Matt, our front door, and it's going to be. I listen. I, I 100%. I 100 agree with you. Would you vote for this foreign aid bill that includes money for Ukraine and money for Israel if it gets out of the Senate, which is expected to do today? Because you'll be there Tuesday. You'll be there Wednesday. You'll be serving right away. Would you vote for this? I will vote to support Israel right now because, and this bill should be unconditional. It should be separate. Not bill, Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine. We have been supporting Ukraine in the last two years. Okay. All we ask is, can we get some explanation how the money was spent so far? It's a good question. I mean, we need to get an answer once we have the answer. Of course, you know, based on the answer, we're going to support Ukraine. But they should not link it. 
this is all politics game right now. They're linking Israel to Ukraine. Israel is under war. We need to support Israel. That's all. It has to be separate bill. There has to be no connection, no, no, no condition. And we need to support our, our Israel. Our Mazzy, best of luck. I know how hard you've worked. Great story from Ethiopia to Israel to America. And maybe Thank next you. to U.S. Congress in Washington. Mazzy Phillip, best of luck. Uh, she's going for Congress to fill George Santos' seat. And to do it by telling the truth. Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. Go to briankilmeade.com. Find out how to see me in Henderson, Nevada, April 27th. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. The Brian Kilmeade Show coming your way day after the Super Bowl. Many of you took off because of the so-called Super Bowl flu. I get it. Uh, I'm not. Uh, don't worry about it. I'll be here to carry you not only through the Super Bowl, the ads, the ramifications, but also what's happening in the real world. This hour, Bill Hemmer is going to be joining me from Las Vegas. Josh Crasher uh, is ready to join us now. Fox News Radio political analyst, editor-in-chief of Jewish Insider. Uh, Josh is going to be with us to bring us inside Washington, inside what's going to be happening today. Very impactful. King Abdullah in town. He's going to be there with his wife, who's very pro-Palestinian, to try to make everybody think that Israel's at fault for what's happening in Gaza. Remember, they hide behind civilians. They they massacred innocent Israelis. And they took 200 hostage plus. And now people are upset that Israel is going in. Yeah, sadly, there are civilian casualties. But unlike Hamas, that's never the intent. People are uh, just jumping off the Israeli bandwagon. Sadly, I think it's President Biden. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's the adversity we dealt dealt with this year. And to come through, the guys never faltered. I was not give God the glory, man. He, he challenged us to make us better, and I'm proud of my guys, man. This is awesome. And it's legendary. That's how a quarterback acts when he won back-to-back Super Bowls and MVP and did it in overtime. Defensive battle full of clutch plays surrounded by stars and supported by classic commercials. We'll look at the, the how KC cemented itself as a dynasty in progress. Number two. I can't remember the last time the Senate was in session on Super Bowl Sunday. But as I've said all week long, we're going to keep working on this bill until the job is done. Dysfunctional, but hopefully not hopeless. The Senate works the weekend to pass a foreign aid bill while the Biden administration is suddenly working overtime to condemn and perhaps abandon Israel as the Middle East remains on fire. Let's go. Number one. The justice manual says that that's not enough, even if you can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. You have to believe as a prosecutor that you can get a conviction from a jury. So why that information was included was because he's explaining to the attorney general in that report why he believes a jury would not convict Joe Biden. That is why they had to get personal and talk about his memory. Sarah Isker weighs in. Robert Hur hurls President Biden and his presidency into turmoil, claiming it would be difficult to convince a jury they could convict him because he's kind of lost his mind. Is his presidency done? His surrogates don't think so. They fanned off to defend him over the weekend, and Trump actually hurt his cause by making a few unnecessary errors. Let's bring in Josh. Josh, welcome back. Hey, Brian. 
happy uh, Monday after the Super Bowl. It was, it was quite the game last night. It, it was, and, and it's fascinating. But I'll get to that. Quick thing, and you can help me on this. So it looks like the Senate's going to pass the foreign aid bill that's going to give money to Ukraine, Taiwan, and especially Israel. Now, to get it to the House, they are going to, Democrats might use a discharge peti- uh, petition to circumvent the Speaker's will. Could you tell me what that is? If not, it's okay. I just didn't hear the, have heard of this procedure. Yeah, well, that's a lot of legislative uh, technicalities. But the, the reality is that the House Republicans is probably not a majority of House Republicans that would support that legislation. So it would it, it would take sort of extraordinary measures, even though they're to, to basically secure the overall majority of, of, of members of the House to to support the the, the bipartisan legislation funding uh, Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan. Uh, but there are a lot of a lot of Republicans that want. You know, it's sort of this, this circular argument. They want border security measures to be part of this uh, foreign aid package, even though they're not in favor of the ones that passed or were supported by certain certain lawmakers in the Senate. I, you know, I think the Senate vote was also really interesting, Brian, looking at the politics of national security and foreign policy. You only had 18 Senate Republicans voting for that, that, that bipartisan package. Uh, and a lot of the people who I would normally consider the more hawkish, uh, pro, you know, strong on national security Republicans like Lindsey Graham, Tom yeah. Cotton, didn't vote for that. Um, there are a lot of isolationist wins kind of flowing in, in the Republican Party. The Senate was sort of the more traditionally uh, muscular on foreign policy chamber in, in Congress. But the fact that you you didn't have a majority of Senate Republicans voting for that uh, bipartisan measure, I think, is a warning sign about what could happen in the House. I, I think that it's possible, as, as you're alluding to, Brian, that there, there could be a lot of these legislative mechanisms that could bring um, the bipartisan legislation to a vote and, and win support from both Republicans and Democrats. But but I, I don't think there's a majority of House Republicans that are going to get a you know, going to vote for that legislation. And that's a big change from where we were just a few months ago. I mean, what the compromise obvious is this. Now, look, even the speaker, Johnson, said, of course, going to get money to Ukraine. But then he gets down involved because but I got to do the border first. That border deal blew up. So is he going to change his stance? Michael Waltz knows you got to get money to Ukraine. We armed them. We trained them. They fight like warriors. They are the the only other version. The only thing we could do is just let Russia win. Makes us look even worse. It's a different version of the Afghanistan withdrawal. So hopefully they'll do the right thing and understand that people want accountability. You provide the accountability with a with a team of people that we respect in America to follow every bullet to the front lines. The American people feel they got something out of it, don't you think? Well, that's where the American public is, if you believe the polls. But there is a growing part of, uh, you know, the sort of an you've heard of the phrase, the horseshoe theory, where you have these anti-war Democrats and sort of neo-isolationist Republicans that don't kind of share that that sentiment. And uh, again, like the fact that Lindsey Graham, he, he made a comment over the weekend. He, he was originally going to be in Munich talking about national security, talking about Ukraine with a bunch of foreign leaders. Uh, he canceled that. He said he's going to the border instead. And, and not that those are mutually exclusive. You can do both. You should be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. But the fact that you see Republicans that have really been concerned about national security all of a sudden uh, kind of pandering and and saying things where they just you know are trying to find excuses not to not to fund Ukraine, it does worry a lot of people who are, are on the front lines uh, in, in 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 Europe and and looking at the future of that war. So you know I, I don't know how the, there is a pathway for for like you know this grand deal to, to get through and fund Israel, fund Ukraine, fund uh, you know Asia, and that's another looming threat uh, that we're going to have to pay close attention to in the future. But that. that 
there's not an obvious – you can see how we get there, but we don't have a clear path right now on, on, on where the votes are and where they're going to, how, how the bill's going to get to the floor. And jo- uh, Josh, as editor of the U.S. Insider, you must have noticed uh, President Biden makes some statements that matter. Remember, after his Poland speech, he said, this man can't stay in power, Vladimir Putin, and it panicked everybody because we're not into ousting leaders. We're just defending Ukraine. And their member, he came out and said multiple times, if Taiwan's attacked, of course, we'll defend them. And they go, that's where that's the uh, not the ambiguous policy we want. And now we have him saying, everybody knows how I feel that Israel, uh, the Netanyahu in Gaza has been over the top. Really? That wasn't stated publicly. That was behind closed doors. And now with Abdullah coming to visit, are you worried there's going to be we're going to keep back arms because we feel Israel hasn't done enough to preserve human life? Yeah, I mean that that it, it, you have to really kind of parse the Biden comments and at that strange press conference last week where he was trying to rebut questions about his mental acuity, he did, you know, make make the comments that he you know, he thought Israel was going too far. It's it, it, it was interesting timing to make and there's also been a lot of reporting too that you know, the White House has been uncomfortable about the Israel Israel's uh goal to kind of take the last stronghold that Hamas has. In, in, in southern Gaza and Rafa, uh, where we actually just learned overnight that uh, there was a remarkable rescue of two hostages because of the Israeli military operations. But just hours earlier, you heard the White House saying, we don't want the Israeli military to do anything in Rafa. And, and they're very concerned about the Israeli uh, military doing anything further. So, you know, you're getting these mixed messages, I think, politically. Uh, is what it's all about. They're, they're worried about the left-wing base. They're worried about votes in Michigan. And uh, that that's what's kind of cha- changed their rhetorical posture. I don't think the, the policy has changed all that much, but they increasingly aren't telling Israel what they originally said, to, to defeat Hamas, to, to finish the mission. That was the initial argument that you heard from the White House top-down. And now you're hearing much more uh, kind of uh, questioning BB, questioning the military strategy, uh, even as it has been quite successful. We're, we're seeing, actually, if you talk to to the IDF, if you talk to Israeli officials, uh, the mood has gotten a little bit better, uh, especially in, in the wake of the, the rescue of, of two uh, elderly male hostages uh, as part of as part of this mission overnight. So, yeah, if they could do a few it, more of them, it would be great. Yeah, I mean, look, that, that's the argument Israel has made, that Bibi has made, and he was on the Sunday shows uh, this weekend, that it's not an either-or, that there needs to be a lot of pressure on Hamas, and that's how you get the hostages released. Now, it's very complicated, but that, that, that what happened last night as part of that, that, that extraordinary mission is, is an example of what the Israelis have been arguing. Uh, no question about it. Uh, and, in fact, Netanyahu was on, and he was asked about uh, Joe Biden's acuity and uh, how he goes fine. I don't know what he meant by over the top. So he's he's smart enough to know that. Um, here's here's what Netanyahu said when he made those comments. Cut thirty six. Well, I appreciate President Biden's support for Israel since the beginning of the war. Uh, I don't know exactly what he meant by that, but put yourself in Israel's shoes. Uh, we were attacked, unprovoked attack, murderous attack on October seventh, the worst attack on Jewish people since the Holocaust. And let me tell you, uh, I, I think we've responded. Uh, in a way that goes after the terrorists and tries to minimize the civilian population in which the terrorists embed themselves and use them as human shields. So, I mean, they do drop leaflets, they do drop fires. I don't know what numbers to believe. We have seen some video with children and, and sadly women hurt. But you have to keep in mind, when Hamas hides amongst them and goes in their schools and, and functions out of their hospitals, you have a choice. Get the enemy, no matter where they are, or pretend as if it's no big deal and wait for the next massive attack. 
in 18 months because they have pledged to do so, in my opinion. I want to ask you about polit- pure politics and the damage done by the Robert Hur report and the effort by this administration to dismantle Robert Hur. Listen to Bob Bauer in this exchange, uh, on this exchange with uh, Margaret Brennan, cut six. The special counsel has been praised in the past by Democratic senators from his home state of Maryland. Um, And I know when the president took office, he said he wants to restore the honor, integrity and independence of the DOJ. Doesn't leveling these charges of being politically motivated do the same thing Donald Trump does when he says that the system's rigged? That's not what we're saying. Nobody's arguing on our side. I'm not arguing that the system is rigged. We're looking at this particular performance by this particular special counsel in this particular case. And as legal experts around the country are saying, it just goes off the rails. It's a shabby piece of work. He arrived at the right legal conclusion and then 400 page later, misstatements of facts and totally inappropriate and pejorative comments that are unfounded and not supported by the record. Do you find that shabby? Did you read that report, 380 pages? Pretty detailed. Yeah, I mean, look, there, this is uh, a shade of the Clinton playbook back in the 90s uh, where they basically go after the special prosecutor and what was a widely considered to be a pretty, pretty strong piece of explanation and going through all his rationales for, for the decisions he, he made and didn't make. Um, but look, the, the politics are the politics, and the White House can't stand having that line describing Biden as an elder, well-meaning elderly man with, with, with you know, not, 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 not the memory he used to have. So um, it, it, it's a problem. It's a political problem, and they're, they're going uh, full bore against the special prosecutor. Look, I, I don't think it's going to work just because you look at the latest polling. I mean, there was an NBC poll last week. There was a new ABC News poll over the weekend showing oh, – oh, the ABC poll showed almost 85 percent of Americans that have serious concerns about, about Biden's, uh, you know, age and, and mental acuity. Uh, the NBC poll, that was before the report, uh, almost 75 percent. So th- th- this is not just a partisan issue. This is almost, uh, you know, the vast majority of the American public ha- shares these same concerns and simply attacking uh, the, the, the messenger, if you will, the, the Bob Herr who wrote the, wrote the report, I don't think it's going to fly with a lot of Americans. I, I think Biden is ultimately going to have to show that he's up to the job, that he's with it. Do, he should have done an interview. If they felt he, he, if they felt that he was more with it than, 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 than the report suggested, he should have gone out on the pregame show before the Super Bowl and showed it, showed it to the, showed the American public in front of 60, 70 million watchers, uh, people watching the pregame show that he, he, he can do, you know, he has the, the, the sharpness that, to do the job. That would have so, been easy. You know, I, yeah. Gail King probably wouldn't have skewered him. It, 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 I mean, that's the best opportunity you could possibly have. You got, you got the audience, you got a friendly interviewer in all likelihood. I and mean, they still didn't want to put him through that ringer. Uh, so, you know, actions speak a lot louder than spin. And I think that, you know, that, that was just yeah. spin that you heard from the, on the Sunday shows. From so the, the question the is, they say that uh, Bob Bauer said, I was there the whole time. It was not the way he was characterized. Uh, uh, Robert Hurt is doing a hit job on him. So listen to what Margaret Brennan said. Cut seven. What you're talking about and letters you've released make it sound like there are indeed transcripts that you have of these conversations over the 8th and the 9th. Yes, I'm drawing here on my recollections, but yes, there are transcripts. And as you heard um, Ian Sams in the press briefing room say, you know, there are discussions underway because it's a classified document about Mm -hmm. what could or whether will be or when released. I can't add anything to that today. Do you favor releasing them? Well, it's really a decision that has to take place within the government. It's a classified the document. Counsel, I'm the president's personal counsel. Right. Would you recommend yes. that these be made public if they indeed back up your personal record? Again, there's a process underway. I'm not a specialist in that process, and so I really have to defer to those who have to work through those issues. 
Right. So guess what he's saying? I don't really want to be called out. If those transcripts made President Biden look like uh, Bill Clinton at his, in his prime, those transcripts would be out. Republicans said, yeah, give us the transcript. You're so, you're so upset at Robert Hur, and he is politically motivated. Adam Schiff called him a political hack, which is fascinating. So let's see the transcript. You think we'll see it? Uh, I, I don't think so. I think there's going to be a lot of lawyering going on, uh, a lot of partisan fighting. But um, ultimately, that's going to be se- secondary to just the reality of, of whether we see, like, like, you know, Biden's going to be doing the um, a, a bilat with with the with the Jordanian leader uh, today. We'll see what he what he what, you know how, how he looks in front of the cameras. I mean, he's ultimately going to have to show the American public that he he is up to the job. He has the focus, the stamina. Um, otherwise, you know, they're going to come to the same conclusions that they've been increasingly coming to over the last few years. Yeah, we'll see. So you think he'll be the nominee? We talked about this last week, Brian. You know, I think that the, the other options are not any better. <laughs> you know, you look at the vice president's numbers. They they are uh, worse uh, than, than Biden. She has very deep unfavorability from, from, from a whole lot of voters. And then, you know, you, you come up with these convention scenarios. Russ Southad in The New York Times had a good column this weekend, kind of outlined the, the, the kind of possible scenarios that could happen at a convention where you could switch up the nominee. But it's really difficult to do. And, and ultimately, it's hard to figure anyone else other than Harris that would be the, the, the heir apparent if, if Biden stepped aside for health reasons or for anything else. So, that doesn't get anybody um, excited except her. They're stuck between them. The, 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 decision, the time to have made a decision to change up the the running mate to change gotcha. up the ticket would have been last year. Josh, thanks so much. Appreciate it. When we come thanks, back, Brian. we'll squeeze in some calls. I know you have your opinions. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. And Bill Hemmer from Las Vegas. And then for those people that don't get in next, uh, just hold on right after Bill. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. As you know, initially, the president of Mexico, Sisi, did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get in. I talked to him. I convinced him to open the gate. Right, in Mexico, uh, president of Egypt. Let's see, because now the president's going to do a bilat. You just heard that with uh, the Jordan King. I did not know that until Josh just told us here. And now this week, their goal is to get him out more. One of the things that's been suggested is change his makeup, change his hair, make him look younger. Good luck with that. Number two is say, have him sitting. So instead of the press coming out and watching him walk out, which is painful, why not have him in a chair, FDR style, and then... Tell everyone he just you just happened to stumble into this interview. They said bring him some places where people have uh, gotten insulin at a cheap price because of something he's done or got a student loan forgiven because he decided to circumvent the Supreme Court. So get him out that way. I just don't see it working. I, the more you see Joe Biden is not the more you're sold on Joe Biden. The guy behind the scenes is like evidently he's fantastic. He's, he's basically like an aerobics instructor. He's so fit and active. Impossible to keep up with. Because he puts a lid on at noon and wakes up at 10. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We came here to do a job. We got to tell everybody who we really are. Yes, there were times. I'm sure you knew. When I bit off more than I could chew, 
My family, I owe everything to them. It takes a village, man. Without my mom and dad, I would not be here today. My mom passed away. My sister filled that void in my life. There's so many people that have helped me get to this point. It hasn't just been a one-man show the whole way. And that was right before kickoff or close to kickoff on CBS. Bill Hemmer might not have seen that because he was in the stadium. I know what that's like. You miss the commercials. You miss the hoopla. You get the you don't understand what people saw at the halftime show at home. I even miss when uh, when you you when you had a, a any type of incident at halftime when you saw the Janet Jackson get her top pulled off. I mixed that missed that because I was I don't know. I was watching. I didn't see him. grab uh, Justin Timberlake grabbed their grab their uh, shirt off. But Bill Hammer, did you see that feature with My Way with Frank Sinatra? I didn't, didn't see any of that. Brian, it's good to be with you. Um, I tell you, you know what's crazy about when you attend the bowl is that you can be watching a random golf tournament in July and they run this great commercial. You're like, wow, that was creative. <laughs> but America's already seen six months right. prior. So you're right about like being inside and missing a lot of things that I let people pick up on. It was mostly a San Francisco crowd, I understand. Big time, 75% easy. I think there's a couple things here. The geography played into their favor. Not the KC's that far away by plane. But you know what I think, Brian? I think Kansas City has just been winning. And when that happens... You know, your fan base, as good and as loyal as they can be, sometimes you get a little tired. You know, they they played in five out of the six last AFC championship games. Five, sorry, five out of the last six AFC championship games were at home. That that's an extra up until this year. That's an extraordinary statistic for any team in the NFL. So I want you to Brock Purdy after the game. The moment was not too big for him. Obviously, you didn't win. Cut 32. When you have a good offense like the Chiefs do and, and what Mahomes can do, um, you know, for us, it's it's like, all right, we have to, you know, score touchdowns. And um, we had opportunities to do so, I think. Shot ourselves in the foot with, you know, just penalties and the operations and, and stuff. So um, I got to be better um, in terms of, you know, leading the guys and, and just, you know, I think how I handle things in the huddle and tell them, telling them you know what to expect stuff like that so but yeah at the end of the day i think we have the team the offense to, to score touchdowns and i think i failed to put our team in position to do that so what were you thinking when they got the ball first and drove down the field i thought they were going for a touchdown and they end up with three did you think to yourself this is over kansas city's going to do this uh, you know actually first possession they fumbled turned the ball over um you know just listening to purdy talk there i think he's a real mature guy and I think he's a leader, and he doesn't push he doesn't push the problems onto other people. That whole comment about communicating better in a huddle. So what 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 happened when they were in a huddle and he he didn't give the right play or the right thing? That that really shows a sign of maturity. He he was inches or moments away, Brian, from being the great one of the greatest stories the history of the NFL when you're drafted last at number 262 he he was that close to being a Super Bowl MVP and it didn't happen and it didn't happen because Mahomes is just waiting to to grind down the defense whether it's in the fourth quarter overtime just to get Chase Young and Nick Bosa just a little more tired 
so that he can make a play with his legs, not his arm, but his legs. He did it four years ago against San Francisco. He did it last year against Philadelphia. He did it again this time against the Niners. You're talking about fourth and one. If they had stopped him there, the game's over. That and the, the third and one where, you know, he, you know, everybody goes left and he runs right and he picks up the yeah. first down. These aren't quarterback sneaks. It's not the push tush you see from the Eagles. It's him just taking the ball and it's kind of an option run to the right. And I, I man, it's, it's just amazing to see that he was able to make that happen again. It's, it's, I find it extraordinary. I mean, the, the Niners were so jacked for that game. And I, I think a lot of viewers were kind of bored by the first half because there wasn't a lot of scoring. But I can say in person, and I'm such a geek for football, I bring my binoculars wherever I sit. I don't care if I'm in the first row or the last row. And th- this was really – this was top-notch football. I know there were a couple mistakes, a couple turnovers, but those guys were playing hard on both teams. No question. I don't think boring football is great defense. I mean, uh, I think great defense is great defense. I, I, I didn't find that boring. I don't need a lot of touchdowns to be impressed with the game. But that thousand percent. Yeah, yeah, thousand percent. And that's what I appreciated. When you have a high-powered offense, you keep it to 10-3, even though you dominated most of the half. I go, that's a good story. I'll follow that. Yeah. So the big yeah, thing I saw, in the, uh, what I saw, and I don't know if you saw it, because they barely played it up with between Romo and Jim Nansen. I don't get it. It was Travis Kelsey, the most high-profile athlete on the field, really. He goes up to Andy Reid because he wasn't in the game at a key moment on, the, on a goal line play, and he hits him, knocks the, knocks the, yeah. uh, the game plan out of his hands. The guy's like uh, six, yeah. 70 years old. He's 100 pounds overweight. Kelsey's like, looking like a, like a lunatic. Here's what Andy Reid said afterwards, cut 34. Great leaders, and Patrick and Chris and, and Trav and the job you know, that they've, they've done uh, – they're, they're passionate players, man, and I love that. And even if they chest bump me to the other side of the 50, I mean, I've, I've, I appreciate it. I just love that the guy wants to play and wants to be in there playing, and he knows I love that. So he makes me feel young. You think so? Really? <laughs> wow. I, I think it's pretty good cover. I thought Kelsey had a really funny answer to it to kind of diffuse it, uh, not that it's going away. But he said, I was telling him how much I love him. I thought it was a good line. Um, I, I, I know there's passion, but I, I agree with you, Brian. It wasn't a good look. I, I just hate it for kids watching. The whole world's watching. And they might think to the next time, and you think I'm crazy, the 15-year-old that's unhappy they're not in the game, they're going to go up and start screaming at their coach or the kid in college. Yeah. I, was, I just think it's a bad, it's a bad look. So overall. Yeah, I, I'll tell you this. Sorry. The Kansas City successful because they have two things. And every great friendship team has two things. They've got a great head coach, and they've got a great player on the field. Brady had it with Belichick, and Matt Patrick Mahomes has it with Andy Reid. And they find people in the draft. I mean, Purdy in for San Francisco, uh, Purdy gets founded, and then Pacheco was buried in the draft, too. Anyone could have had him. Listen, we live in New York. Who was talking about Pacheco at a Rutgers? <laughs> I don't know Nobody. anyone. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, so Bill, give me an idea. How many Super Bowls have you been at? Uh, it's 15 or 20. I'll have them up on the plane. Uh, it was a good one. Malcolm Jenkins getting an interception in Glendale for the Pats. That was a good one. I heard you mention the Janet Jackson one. I took my dad to that game. We had great <laughs> seats. Of course, I have my binoculars. And I had never seen Janet Jackson perform before. So I want to see how good of a performance 
bus. And I was watching her through this thing. And then at the end, he just reaches over and rips her bra off. And I said, Dad. And then all the lights in the stadium go go black immediately. And so I just I kept my binocs on Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson, and they deliberately had a plan to come down those front stairs and leave the stadium floor together, and he was with it the whole time. I said, Dad, I think he just ripped her top off. <laughs> and so keep in mind, that's before X or Twitter, so you can't go to your phone and make sure that you can yeah. verify what you've just seen. But I knew with my own eyes, Brian, what I saw at that moment. So you do remember that. So what, how did Las Vegas do as a venue uh, because you know we we've had different ones. I don't think New York, New Jersey was great. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not sure Detroit was great. They did the best they could, but they, that winter feel to it. Jacksonville was yeah. overwhelmed. I thought they did really good. It's the first time I ever saw Jacksonville and all it had to offer. Uh, WDBO listeners know it, but I thought they were overwhelmed by the amount of people in the city. How did Las Vegas do? Um, uh, oof. It's a brand new stadium. It's got the new car smell. I liked it a lot. Um, reminded me a lot of Glendale in Arizona, frankly, but I think Glendale's a little bigger. This one sat about 60,000. They got 61,000 in for the Super Bowl. Uh, Las Vegas did a really good job. Uh, but I think the number one venue for Super Bowls, based on my experience, is New Orleans. And next year, the Super Bowl goes back to New Orleans, and Fox has the game and you know who'll be in that booth for that game is tom brady right if he goes ahead yeah it's going to happen right so this guy is going to leave the commercials behind and even though he was a star in dunkin donuts uh the dunkin donuts commercials in fact and he's going to leave all the celebrity behind he's going to get in the booth he's got to put the blue collar there uh let me ask you something uh tony romo is the greatest guy everyone who knows him says that i don't know him well but i think he's a great guy i think he's just an awful announcer I, I can't. I never get annoyed by announcing, but I don't think he prepares. He does half sentences. I don't know what he's talking about, or he says the most obvious thing possible. So, do you think there's a chance that Olson leaves Fox and goes over there because he's clearly the the uh, a class color guy? Yeah, I I don't know what Olson's contract's like. I'm not sure. Um... Olsen's really good. I think him and Ke- he and Kevin Burkhardt are really good together. Um, I'd be surprised if Fox lets them break up. I mean, you can make Brady the number one team, and those guys were a really strong second team, I guess. But you know what, Brian? I'm not in management, <laughs> so I don't get to make those decisions. True. Uh, all right, Bill. I look forward to seeing you back in town uh, whenever you right decide on. to leave Las Vegas. I love it. Hey, man, we just got to the airport. We're trying to crack through security here, and I'll see you back in New York. It's awesome to come to a Super Bowl, Brian. It's the only place in America where 60,000 people are all in a good mood at the same time. Exactly. It doesn't always end, it doesn't always end that way. But Until they have the to leave at the start. airport when even clear doesn't get you there on time. Thanks so much, Bill Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> Peace, brother. You got hey, it. Brian. When we come back, I open up the phones. We go to Marty in Orlando. I'll go to Rock in Virginia. And I will go to Frank and WABC. Don't move. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. President Biden 
Something the special counsel said in his report is that one of the reasons you were not charged is because, in his description, you are a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I'm well-meaning, and I'm an elderly man, and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president, and I put this country back on its feet. I don't need his recommendation. It's How totally bad out. is your memory, and can you continue as president? My memory is so bad, I let you speak. So how stupid is that? Uh, Remember that exchange. Uh, The president seems at times confused, and it was picked up on by the Robert Hur report. 76% of voters have a major concern about his his mental health problems, according to Ipsos. 86% of Americans say he's too old for another term. 62% same for Trump. 27% said Biden is too old. Uh, Only 3% said Trump is too old. Concerned about Biden's ability to serve? Um... The Siena poll says more than 70 percent of battleground states voters agreed with the statement that Mr. Biden is just too old to serve. The Washington Post says top Biden donors were fielding calls and text messages from anxious Democrats. asking as other Democrats still had time to jump in. What about Shapiro? What about Whitmer? What about Gavin? And by the way, the New York editorial uh, page said this. Mr. Biden's performance at his news conference on Thursday uh, was intended to assure the public that his memory is fine and argue that Mr. Hur was out of line. Instead, the president raised more questions about his cognitive sharpness and temperament as delivered emotional, snappish retorts in a moment when people were looking for steady, even, and capable responses. That's not good. I don't know if you can feel that or not. It is not good. Marty, you're listening in Orlando on WDBO. Hey, Marty. Hello, Brian. Hey, when President Biden complains about shrinkflation, does he realize that shrinkflation is actually helping them, helping him? Had these companies raised their prices instead of reduced their product size, I know. that would reflect an even higher inflation number. It tells me the number the government giving us is actually low than what it should be, but we're living that every day anyway. We know that. Uh, Marty, great point. Uh, Rock in Virginia. Hey, Rock. Hey, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I just read... And it's in Bloomberg, and the Houthis are claiming credit. This morning, they hit an American-owned ship, the Star, the Star Iris. Uh, I don't know how much damage was done. They're claiming it was minor, minor damage, but that's not the point. Um, and I'm kind of wondering, after this weekend and what we saw with President Biden and how he reacted to this special report and how he uh, is sniffing at the reporters, I'm wondering where your thoughts would be on that. I, uh, I have no faith in his international relations ability. I have no faith in his ability to handle things in the Middle East. He's already backing off Israel. We know he's half-assing it through Ukraine even before the aid was being held up now. Slow walking the weapons. He was slow to hit back at the Houthis, slow to hit back at the militias. He's always behind. We're always reacting. We're not leading. Uh, so I have no faith in him being able to protect our people. And by the way, they have their own missile defense on these ships, but it's so very costly. You take a very cheap drone, one-way drone, and you knock it out of the sky with a million-dollar uh, rocket. And the merchant ships don't have it. And meanwhile, we leave an Iranian spy ship there to help the Houthis locate targets. Why don't we blow that ship out of the water and give it two hours to get out of there? If not, you sink it. So I'm really upset by that. Let's go out to Frank listening on WABC. Hey, Frank. Yes, uh, Brian. Uh, you know, I remember uh, President Biden when he was a senator. He actually was in the community. He he visited me in uh, 1972. 
uh, on 3rd Street and 27th Avenue in Astoria, Queens. I was splashing water in my bathtub, and he says, oh, I'm just passing through here because I have a few friends in the community. And, and I see the large amount of uh, work that he did as senator, as vice president for President Obama. But I want to ask you, Brian, sincerely, with all the polls indicating and uh, statistics that many individuals in our country are discontent with the fact that his faculties as president are failing, Physically, he can't really uh, move around as right. a, a younger person and do the work that a younger person can do. Do you actually think that maybe President uh, Biden would uh, resign or not run further in his uh, second bid for presidency? Only, for only presidency? if something happens, Frank, if he falls. Only if something happens where he actually has a meltdown on stage because he does not want to back down and his family doesn't seem to care about him. They just want to keep the power. That's the only thing you could say. Nobody who cares about him would let him go out there like this, would let a guy of that age, of that limited energy, go to multiple countries, meet with these heads of state, go over to summits, go thousands of miles in a plane, and this expect to represent our country and come back unless they just wanted the power and prestige of holding on to the office. So unless something happens beyond uh, them being able to talk their way out of it, and this is close, the Robert Hur report, guys, just take some time. It's 380 pages, and it talks about not only how he loses it, but what he did when he was coherent. His judgment is awful. He's been taking documents since 1977. How you get that out of these high-security skiffs is beyond me. Remember, Sandy Berg had to shove it in his pants, and he got caught. This guy must have just been, I don't know, paying off the people in charge or, or hiding it in his shirt for years. You can't say. And then he's criticizing Trump for doing the same thing. Hey, if you need any of my books, especially Teddy and Booker T, just go to BrianKillMe.com. goes to my bookstore. I sign it and send it out. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 